Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of issues, trends, and developments in future fuels and vehicles. I'm your host, Tammy Klein, Principal Consultant with Future Fuel Strategies. And with me today is Bill Elric, who's Executive Director of the California Fuel Cell Partnership. Bill, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tammy. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So let me read a little bit of your bio for folks who, who don't know you. So Bill is the California Fuel Cell Partnership's Executive Director, as I said. Previously, he held the Technical Program Director position for seven years, bringing his active tenure in alternative fuel transportation to 20 years. You're an old timer. (laughs) Under his (laughs) leadership, the California Fuel Cell Partnership members have developed new analysis tools and detailed rollout plans that industry, state, and federal agencies reference in planning support for hydrogen stations, which are coming. He works directly with industry stakeholders, including automakers, station developers, medium and heavy-duty fuel cell vehicle developers, and government to facilitate collaborative actions that fulfill each organization's needs. Bill has a master's degree in urban and regional planning from Ball State University and an undergraduate degree from the University of Indiana. So, Bill, I'm going to go right into the questioning here. And... I think the best place to start is for the listeners who might not be familiar, can you give them some background on the California Fuel Cell Partnership, how it started, and what the partnership's current priorities are today? The California Fuel Cell Partnership started 20 years ago this year with eight original members. Yes, we're celebrating a big anniversary this year. The original mission was brought together by eight entities of state, federal, local government, automakers, and energy developers looking at the zero emission vehicle regulation here in California and wondering if hydrogen and fuel cells could be a viable opportunity to help support that regulation. And so the first few years were were dedicated to really that science experiment of looking at the technology and how it might, might play out. Maybe a decade or so ago, it started to shift as the answer was, yes, the technology is viable. And looking to, could it be commercially viable? Meaning, could it be something that would be sustainable and marketable and and provide everyone from customers to government to industry the benefits equally or at least throughout? And the answer there was yes. And so back in 2012, we worked on launching the market, really the, the beginning steps of where hydrogen and fuel cell vehicles are today. And that was, again, another point of success where the market, I can now happily say, is open. You can both lease and purchase fuel cell vehicles. You can go to retail stations and within, use your credit card, fuel in a matter of minutes, and be on your way for you know hundreds of miles, just like in today's combustion engine world. What Where we are today is, in that market launch, we recognized that the market wasn't developing quickly enough, meaning how do we get through this valley of death to reap all the benefits, environmental, economic, and energy benefits that the technology can produce? And so we put out a new document last year that's our 2030 vision. It's an image of a self-sustaining market. And so now we're busy working on the specific actions to achieve that vision such as developing the network, the hydrogen production, and then the market policies that really encourage the private investment to make this happen. So let me ask you two questions. Um, One is, where do you see infrastructure headed, you know, both 
in California, and even elsewhere around the country. And what do you think in terms of, of policy, which ones are the most, have been the most successful so far? Or, or what kind of policies need to, be, need to be in place to really encourage fuel cell vehicle uptake? So the first question around infrastructure, that's our biggest challenge for hydrogen and fuel cell vehicles. The, the vehicle technology, while still nascent, is developing rapidly and the handful of vehicles that are on the market now really can replace a combustion vehicle. You know, we have sedans and SUVs that fill quickly, you know, they they have the range that a combustion vehicle does, but that's only if the infrastructure's there. So our biggest challenge is we have to recreate a hydrogen fueling infrastructure to support the technology. And so most of our efforts are around that and getting it to a scale development. You know, we've we have 39 stations open today. But we need, we have some 8,000 or more gasoline stations, and they provide such a, a wonderful network for us to use and get around. We have to start moving up to the point where that similar capability and value to the customer is there. And your second question is around the policies. You know, that's something we're really focused on right now, is one of our first activities is looking at the policies. You know, the state of California has been very aggressive towards environmental measures to, to mm-hmm. deal with some of the pollution and greenhouse gas issues we have. And we've had some wonderful leadership and wonderful policies to help start this market. And I would go to programs like the ARFETP program, which funds mm-hmm. not just hydrogen infrastructure, but others. And that's a alternative renewable ARFETP, Alternative and Renewable Fuels Technology Program by the CEC. It's been really successful to help us launch that market. But at the same time, providing basically cost share or co-funding the way it does now, it works to build maybe 10, 12 stations a year, but we need to build 100 stations a year. And so that might not be the right mechanism. So we're trying to Mm -hmm. look at new things. And one program that was just updated under the Air Resources Board is the Low Carbon Fuel Standard. And that provides well, it's actually a very large program that encourages yeah. low-carbon fuels. Well, they made an amendment that provides both hydrogen and fast chargers with the ability to get really extra or incentive credit for the capacity of new infrastructure. And it's more yeah. of a market scale. It has some rails on it and some limitations, and it will sunset. But the idea was this new amendment to an existing program that really wasn't benefiting or encouraging much in the way of hydrogen, it allows developers to see more longevity and certainty in LCFF supporting hydrogen. And so they could be confident they could make the investment early in infrastructure, use LCF credits to kind of bank and back the system, but then get to a point where they won't require LCFS or other mechanisms in the future. So I think to your point, infrastructure is our biggest hurdle. And policies, probably the right policies, market-based policies, are one of our first mechanisms to enable private investment and and reaching scale to get where we want to go. So you talked a little bit about infrastructure and a little bit about policy, but there's some really interesting developments with respect to uh, renewable hydrogen. And you also talked about low-carbon fuel standard. And so, you know, there's a lot going on with renewable hydrogen. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the work that you guys have done around that? 
we're taking a great deal of time right now looking at all hydrogen production, but especially renewable. Right now, two things are, are clear, that the hydrogen we're using in the transportation market isn't produced specifically for transportation. It's, you know, it might be for refineries or other products, and it's really a, a surplus that we're using. So a real market needs to have its own dedicated supply. And that current supply is mostly based on natural gas. And, and it works. It's cost-effective. We know it well. But to get the, the end game of where we're looking at, which is decarbonized and renewable, we need to figure out how to insert more of it and, and get to 100% as quick as we can, knowing that, that that has to develop. We have to keep costs in check as we're building the market at the same time. So we're looking at those different priorities. Our 2030 vision actually lines up quite well with the Hydrogen Council, which is a large global effort of top 100 companies, uh, industry companies working on hydrogen because they see the advantages and opportunities. They have a 2030 goal of 100% decarbonized hydrogen for transportation. And we think that's a great goal. And we're trying to figure out what that really means here in California, meaning how would we put what policies would we need? What actions do we need to take to achieve that 2030, 100% decarbonized vision? It's right into our vision. And it would even be 15 years ahead of the grid, 2045 renewable goals. So I don't have those answers yet, but we're excited to mm-hmm. figure out how to make that happen to get the most out of this technology. So it's really interesting to sort of see the the evolution here of Hydrogen, I mean, you know, when you guys started out, which wasn't too much long after I started my career, I mean, hydrogen was, well, I mean, it was like battery electric vehicles. I mean, it was just an absolute pipe dream. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like cellulose ethanol. And now, 20 years later, the world is increasingly looking to decarbonize one of the most difficult sectors to decarbonize, which is transport. There are numerous commitments around the world, but especially uh, from California. We have Marais and other automaker fuel cell vehicles out there. We have Mary Nichols driving around in a, in a Marai. And it is amazing to see the transformation that has taken place in 20, you know, in 20 years. And it's taken a lot actually, but at the same time, you know, hydrogen's really just at the cusp, <laughs> you know, now it's, it was a fuel that wasn't really taken seriously or that seriously or was seen really experimental, but now it's actually out there on, on the roads. And so the question is, is, yeah, how do you, how do you do the next to take hydrogen to the next level in California? And it seems like all of the, the ingredients are there because you have the policy support, the infrastructure is developing, you know, maybe not fast enough. You have the conditions in terms of, you know, I mean, you have a state that has basically done everything. I mean, it set all kinds of policies in fuels and yet still have issues with greenhouse gas emissions and with with vehicle emissions. So I guess, you know, without understanding kind of like the progression and where things also need to go, you know, they want to go you know, they want to be able to meet their 2030 goals, but the idea is, is to completely decarbonize. Do you think that the state's going to have to get even more aggressive on policy down the line to really get there? And, and what does that mean for hydrogen? Because it, it is a net zero 
it is a net zero fuel, particularly when you look at the renewable part of it. Yeah, I think the first thing you said is is how far we've come in 20 years. You know, I we often heard the joke, you know, hydrogen was the fuel of the future, always will be. But, you know, if we look at where hydrogen went 20 years ago with no codes and standards, we didn't know if the hydrogen would be made on the vehicle or, or off and provided uh, the way we now see it playing out. We've come farther in 20 years than any of the other technologies. You know, the first battery cars started right up against not just the gasoline, but the steam cars over 100 years ago. And while there's been a lot of market developments in more recent years to make them come along, we've, we've done it all in a matter of a couple decades. And you're right, the, the ingredients are all there. The state of California has always been a strong leader in this, but now the, the industry is starting to see the potential and customers were, were getting great reaction from the customers. And, you know, the first customers in California are all, they're real people. They're putting their own money down to lease and purchase these cars and they're driving just like they would their, their everyday vehicles. So we're seeing everything come together. And I think what we really have to focus on are, is that education to get a broader awareness, but then a specific set of collective actions we can take to foster it faster. And that's really where we're focused in the partnership is bringing the stakeholders around to accelerate that progress. And I think you're right. You know, Policies are probably the trigger that starts most of these things. And I think we, mm-hmm. we do need to be more aggressive. I think California is aggressive, but making sure that People are aware that hydrogen fits in this transportation market. It, it isn't the fuel of 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. It's, it's today, it's viable, and it's not just transportation. As we see, I can tell you I've come a great deal, come a great way since I first started really understanding hydrogen. In the last year or so, seeing where hydrogen is, not just in transportation, but the whole energy transition we're taking. You brought up renewables and, and decarbonization. You know, hydrogen has its place when we look at manufacturing and industrial uses that electricity probably can't reach some of those and surely can't reach as far. And as the other energy carrier, electricity and hydrogen together are going to do things we can't even imagine right now. We take the ubiquitous availability of electricity at a socket near us, we carry around all kinds of gadgets that are powered by electricity. I think we're going to see without, without too far into the future, we're going to see hydrogen play uh, an accelerating and maybe equal role because they're complementary. Electricity and hydrogen play very well together. They have complementary pros and cons. And to see where that goes, and I think that's where our education and our actions have to start taking is policies that look not just how to bring the transportation side of hydrogen and fuel cells to market, but these other ways that can augment each other so that what we're doing in transportation helps the grid and vice versa or other applications that we're not even talking about today. How do you see, you talked about the complementarity with hydrogen fuel cells and battery electric vehicles, how do you, or, or, or uh, electricity, how do you see hydrogen fuel cell vehicles evolving in the next, let's just say, shorter term, you know, next 10 years as against or as complemented with, you know, the existing, you know, internal combustion engine vehicles, so gasoline, diesel, 
And then, you know, with battery electric vehicles, I mean, there's no denying that, uh, you know, there's, there certainly is a, what I would call a gold rush mentality, you know, with respect to uh, battery electric vehicles. And I think to some extent it's, it's well-deserved and it, to some extent it's like, well, you know, whenever they say there's a silver bullet in transport, I immediately get suspicious <laughs> because I've been in this business way too long. And I know that there's no, there's absolutely no such thing. But I mean, it's clear that the battery electric vehicle market is evolving. It's evolving in California, in the U.S. to a certain extent, and, and certainly in elsewhere in places like China. So how do you see those, those technologies fitting together and evolving? And how do you see hydrogen um, and all of that, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles? We see a clear electrification happening in transportation, and, and both battery electric and fuel cell electric vehicles are, are at a similar point in that they're both scaling up to compete with the, the existing technologies. And that's where you know batteries started over a decade before the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle did, and they're still working on that scaling up. It's a challenging effort. And we're not far behind that. And, and as we get moving, I think we're going to find both focusing on that scaling up opportunity. And where I see them, I, I think they play well together. Just, just like gasoline and diesel do in today's market, they're going to find their market capabilities and opportunities. I think the, the battery electric vehicles really do make ideal urban commuter type cars that, that have the ability to chart, you know, shorter distances and, and they can take advantage of a charging cycle or a charging time that's a little more intermittent where the fuel cell vehicle does scale up better to the heavier side, whether that's an SUV or all the way to a truck, a class eight truck, and where they're going to find that space in between where I think you're going to see different lifestyle choices, choosing a different technology, and that could be either or. So I think that's where they go. They complement each other in time. But at the same time, right now, often people want to pit them against each other because you're right. They want to make a silver bullet out of this. And it's, it's not very likely one solves all the problems and both are necessary. And because electricity and hydrogen work so well together, I, I believe the two vehicle technologies will be likewise complementary to each other and they'll find their space in the market. Yeah. What up with that uh, pitting up, pitting uh, battery electric? versus uh, hydrogen fuel cells, what is the, I mean, obviously I I get it. And I know that that battery electric vehicle owners and enthusiasts are are very, you know, very, are very enthusiastic, you know, and, and passionate supporters and, you know, and that's fine. But when I look at the world, I just, I just wrote this, this post on my site about the reality of the world that we're in is it's not going to be batteries versus hydrogen versus the internal combustion engine vehicle versus the panoply of different fuels that are out there. I mean, everything from methanol to DME to biofuels to RNG. The reality is there will be a lot of different types of powertrains and there will be a lot of different types of fuels that will power them. And the mixtures or the, the mixes will vary based on country. And I hadn't even thought about the the lifestyle part of it, but you're right. It will vary right down into rural versus urban, the types of lives that that people lead. So 
I think that's going to be more of the reality rather than the battery electric will win out and there will be, you know, that's, that's the only thing that's going to be out there because I don't think that's realistic and there's going to be a high degree of variability. I mean, basically, I joke that the auto industry, you know, they've been doing their worldwide tool charter for quite some time. I know they're working on a new version. It's like one of the one of the aims of that is to to have as few powertrains and fuel types as possible. And it's like, well, <laughs> the exact opposite is is happening, which is kind of interesting. But I think that that picture is more realistic than there will be one win. Yeah. I- I believe there's two reasons people get into this deathmatch opportunity. I, I think one is, you said, people wish there was a silver bullet and want one answer for everything. And and that just is unlikely in most any circumstance of any circumstance at all, let alone in our transportation system with such the diverse needs and opportunities we have of moving ourselves and everything around. And I think the other one is at the beginning of the market, we are require, requiring and relying on government subsidies and government support at the beginning to get things kicked off. So they're not seen as what they eventually become is a replacement for combustion engines and conventional vehicle. They're not competing in that mass market appeal. But at the very beginning, they're competing for limited funds from government. And so people are fighting it out kind of as the alternatives when what they're really aiming at later is something else. And to your point about where they play out in that market, you know, if we just think of a a typical city, you know, within that city, uh, not only are there light duty and heavy duty applications, but we see the whole transportation market switching. You know, a typical citizen in San Francisco, they might not need a car except for occasions when they go outside of the city. Or they might rely on the the TNCs, the Ubers and Lyfts of the world. And maybe they do get a car and it's a battery vehicle for when they get around. Or they decide they do a lot of traveling around the state or visiting their family in the Midwest. So they would like to have a fuel cell that can go farther and faster uh, in that way. But then maybe those taxis and vehicles that they use a service to get, those are operate almost 24-7, and, and that doesn't fit the battery world so much. So the TNC might decide to go to a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle because they can fill in minutes and then get back right back on the road. So I think we're right. going to find so many opportunities in all of our transportation needs, and I'm just thinking of the passenger market. We get into all right. the other pieces of it. It's just there's too many opportunities to say it's it's one or the other. But I do think we see a clear electrification of the transportation system. And it gives us the diversity that electricity and hydrogen do have, which is you can make that fuel from anything. And I think that's also where the biofuels fit in. You know, the opportunity uh-huh. to make a biofuel from multiple sources or any fuel that can be made from many things provides you more opportunities. So last question, how do you see the international markets for hydrogen fuel cell vehicles evolving in the next 10 to maybe even even 15, 20 years? Do you see fuel cell electric vehicles as more you know niche market in places like the US and Japan and South Korea? Do you see them sort of starting there and then sort of moving beyond? And then, you know, I do think one of the exciting things that, that is happening is the application 
not just for light duty vehicles, but for heavy duty as well. So do you see more heavy duty vehicles coming in the future in, in these markets? So how are you guys viewing that? I think with our limited infrastructure to start, it, it will start in these niche markets of California, Japan, Germany, and some of these other regions. You know, China is really interesting to see uh, not only their electrification, but in recent months, we see a great deal of focus on the hydrogen fuel side there. So we'll see what that does to the marketplace. But I think it starts in those niche markets, and it's a, it's a slow growth as we start the hydrogen infrastructure growth, and we bring costs down. And as we start to scale up in those early markets and bring costs to a point where they're then much easier to transition to states around California or throughout the U.S. or throughout the world because it's a, something that provides its benefits to the whole chain. You know, government sees the environmental benefits. Industry sees a profit in, in producing, distributing, and dispensing fuel. And customers see a technology that fits their lifestyle and their needs. And so I think it is a slow growth from that point. But I also think it it does have a, a lot of tremendous opportunity to learn from each other. Here in California, we are very retail focused. We have almost all of our customers, our, our everyday people, using their real money to purchase and lease these vehicles. Wherein I was just in Japan, and that market is more of a fleet market. And it's a little bit more controlled on their growth. And that's how most of the other regions are going about it. And we have quite a bit to learn from our perspectives. You know, we have different policies. We have different approaches to the market. And we'll see what type of things work best and learn from each other. And in all the markets around the world, you mentioned heavy duty. The opportunity to put zero emission into heavy duty applications Hydrogen's a wonderful fit for that. And it's just starting. We're seeing the first heavy-duty fuel cell trucks go out, although we've had decades of fuel cell buses experience and fleets in both Northern and Southern California have had tremendous success in real applications, in a real world with real customers. I think we're going to see the heavy-duty maybe rise more rapidly because they can take that fleet approach to how they, they roll out. And that will complement the light duty in that they are heavy fuel demand. And that will bring those costs for building the infrastructure down more rapidly. And then the third thing I see related to all this is how different markets will create their own opportunities. We're seeing places just getting into this, looking at California and the other markets and finding their own ways into the market. Australia is looking at their, both their solar and their coal to be a major hydrogen energy producer and export around the world. And we're seeing other states around in the West Coast looking at the same opportunity where they have resources that they would like to be part of this energy transition. And then you look at developing markets where they might leapfrog right into electric transportation, both hydrogen and batteries, much like they did with cell phones, where they just bypass landlines you know, in, in some ways altogether. And so if I look 10 to 15 in years in the future, I think we're going to see those first regions scale up and make an opportunity for other regions to jump in. And, and maybe after a decade or so, we're going to really see the success start to, to multiply. That's our target here in California, doing everything we can to not just succeed in California, 
but make it replicable for others to jump right on and, and make this vision a reality as well. All right. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Bill so much for being on the show today. It was really interesting to talk to you about hydrogen developments, and I hope you come back as things evolve. <laughs> and if you're looking for more analysis on future fuels issues, including hydrogen and all its different aspects, head to my website, futurefuelstrategies.com, and sign up for my free bi-weekly newsletter. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.